We'll be in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul's likely last letter, his kind of final comments to somebody that had walked with him through ministry for some time. But for us, we will be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So this is Paul speaking to Timothy, his disciple, son in the faith. And we will hear Paul's charge to him in these seven verses of chapter 2. It reads like this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let's pray. Fathers, we read this passage and go through it this morning. We want to hear from you more than anything else. We want to understand what you would have for us, and we want our hearts to be challenged, changed, penetrated by these, your scriptures, that your spirit might move and encourage us more towards Christ-likeness, and we pray it in his name. Amen. So these last few weeks, we're getting both in our reading, but also in some of our sermons, concluding ideas. Really, the whole month of December is kind of concluding ideas as these passages fit together for those who are following along and reading with us. So, for example, you heard Matt speak at the beginning of the year or the beginning of the month on um, whatever was behind. I don't consider that anything. I had all these things behind me that were awesome, but really all I want now is to pursue and find Jesus. As we even then go into this week, where we're going to be hearing Paul's instruction to Timothy, and then next week, and not loving the world, and then the following week, the new heaven and the new earth. So all these ideas, as we go, now what? Now what? Now what? And I want you this morning to be thinking about this, this Christian life, which feels like quite a race to run. And racing imagery is kind of all throughout. You know, Paul likes to use it, and it was something that the culture was familiar with. Uh, but running and running hard, and running and not growing weary, and continuing on the work. I've said this before, uh, we do this in our member class, uh, but where we write down the sermons that have impacted us the most, and the people who have impacted us the most. And it's always easier to find people who have impacted you than it is to find sermons that have impacted you. Which is funny, because we often put a lot of emphasis on sermons, and less emphasis on the kind of enduring elements of investing our lives in others. So we overemphasize the, how impactful a sermon is, the 40 minutes I get with you a week. That's not to say it's not important to preach the, the word. And then underemphasize the actual transformative power of regular relationships with other believers and how that changes us. Because it's not often the spectacular moment that transforms us, but it's those constant moments, bit by bit, that just steady drip, 
that transforms us into who we are, and yet we put so much emphasis in other things because we want kind of this big splash, and we neglect the fact that the Scriptures, both in the model of Jesus and even in the model of Paul, give us a way to consider long-term, enduring investment and impact. But this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-7, through 7, is this passage that helps us to think about how we can endure. And not just how we can endure, but how we can help others to do the same. It's a shame, really, that so few of us in this room, but even within the church, can't say that they've had another brother or another sister come alongside them and help to grow them up in the faith. They just kind of had to guess. Right? So I kind of I learn from here, I listen to these podcasts, or these sermons, sometimes I read these books, I have these conversations. But our, our growth was really just some kind of um, combination of us just trying to throw stuff at the wall and hope that it sticks. Yet the Lord has given us ways to help one another grow up in the faith. And Jesus himself has modeled for us ways to help people to grow up in the faith. He dedicated his ministry, which was much more private than it was public, meaning it's the private moments with the disciples versus all the public teaching that he does, right? It's much of Jesus' time that's unrecorded in the scriptures is just time with the disciples. And his public teachings, interactions, those are what we see, but so much of what he did was in those moments that are not public. And it goes the same for you, and it's the same for me, that our enduring impact for the Lord does not come through gigantic moments of public ministry, though there might be those of you in this room or others who have significant public ministries, but it's the private moments that demonstrate the enduring faithfulness and show others how to do the same. That's why I like this passage. So as we get into it this morning, we'll talk about the passage, we'll talk about our church, we'll talk about our hearts, but we're going to see both a habit and a perspective. Really all you see. You see a habit and a perspective. In the first two verses we see the habit, and in the next uh, chunk of verses 3 through 7 we see the perspective. The enduring habit that we see is this. Invest truth in others who will do the same. That's what Paul says to Timothy. So he turns and he says this in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Meaning the reason, the way that we do what we do is because of the grace of Christ Jesus that comes towards us, right? That comes to us, that we have. That is how we are to operate. And then, in verse 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So if you ever hear any teaching on this passage, you'll often have people go, How many generations of disciples exist in that statement? And the answer is four. You have Paul teaching Timothy to teach others who will teach others. Right? So you have Paul going, whatever you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, and that means the things that you heard from me that are of most significance. Because you ever had a side conversation with somebody where it's just kind of like, oh, hey, do you ever, you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? Or whatever you try to do. Whatever side conversation that you have with somebody. That's not really for public consumption. That's just for being goofy. So what he's saying is the things that you have heard from me that are of most significance. The things that you've heard me teach and instruct, that other people hear, those things, the significant truths of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, 
how Jesus changes us, how we are to live in light of what Jesus has done for us. Those things I want you to entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. But if you look in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, you see Paul taking Timothy on into his ministry. Right? The disciples there speak well of Timothy, and Paul goes, I want to take this guy with me, and they begin ministering together. And there are times where Paul sends Timothy on, and Paul's not even there. You go see how this church is doing. I'm going to send Timothy to you. Like, Wait a minute. Paul, you're, the, you're kind of the guy. We need to see how you feel. But Paul begins entrusting significant ministry to Timothy. If you read Paul's epistles, you'll see him talk about different people. Epaphroditus, you'll see him talk about uh, Timothy. You'll t- um, and mentioning people who are going to go to them, see them. This is why I'm sending so-and-so to you, that your hearts might be strengthened. So on and on and on, we see Paul taking others in and sending others out. And then Paul says this. So the things you've heard me say, I want you to then train others in. But not just that, I want you to train people who are able to train others. Those four generations. Timothy, I've taught you. I want you to teach people, and I want them to teach people. Now, I mean, I don't think that he needs to say, who will be able to teach others, who will be able to teach others. Like, he's not going to go on forever. That would be a pretty long book if he just kept doing that. But you get the idea, is that faithfulness, enduring, I want you to keep training people in these ideas, on and on and on and on. And I would say, because we know what Jesus said in the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, 18-20, he says, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Well, what do you see in 2 Timothy 2? But that same instruction. He doesn't use this exact same verbiage, but he goes, I want you to go and teach and train others who will be able to teach and train others. And that would be instructions on baptism. Would be how to share what has Jesus done. And so this statement, though you feel like, because Timothy is called a pastoral epistle, because there are certain epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, that are written to people who are leading in churches. And so we might be able to cop out and go, oh, well, you know, this is just for the uh, church, church folk. It's just, just for the clergy. They're the ones who are supposed to do this. No, 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 no. Because the Great Commission was given to all of us. And so what the Lord is revealing to Timothy is not how pastors are supposed to act, <clears throat> but it's how we are supposed to act. How we are supposed to focus, the people that we are supposed to bring in. And it is right there, verse 2, that I feel like often we struggle. And we struggle for multiple reasons, but one of the largest ones is because no one's ever done that for us. No one's ever done that for us. No one's ever walked with us and cared with, for us and helped us engage in the Scriptures. It never helped us think about it. Well, you guys have all been bamboozled because what we have been doing this year is just that. It was a trick because all you need are others and the Scriptures to 
understand what the most significant things are. Because if you believe the Scriptures are inspired by God and given to us for our own training, for our own reproof, for our own rebuke, for our understanding of who God is, then that is what you need, empowered by the Spirit, with others to understand the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. You don't have to go beyond that. And so all year we have been tricking you that you might realize that all you have to do is be with others and read the Scriptures together and discuss them and watch and see what the Lord does. Now, this is benefited all the more so if you have been in a community group this whole year. Because many, not all of our community groups, but many of our community groups are discussing the passages that we are going through. So if you're in a community group, look out. You've been able to discuss it again. And you've been able to talk with other people. And you go, I don't understand how this works. Or Hans didn't mention this thing. Or I don't really get this. So you've had a context week after week after week where you can actually go through the things that you're hearing with other people in order to better understand what's been going on, what the Scriptures are saying, and then what they are asking of us. Might be what they're asking us to believe, might be what they're asking us to forsake, might be what they're asking us to change, it might be what they're asking us to remove, or what they're asking us to pursue. But they're always asking things of us. You never just kind of go, oh, that was cool, onward, right? If every word matters... We read them, and we hear them, and we go over them, and we pour over them, and we pray over them, and we discuss them, and we try and figure out what the Lord is doing in those moments and how we might be able to conform more to the image of Jesus. Ah, but there have been these sneaky things, and I've mentioned them in my sermons, but I haven't told you what it is. I'll use a phrase like this. <clears throat> I'll say, hey, so I meet with some guys on Thursdays, and we discuss these passages. I've just said something like that. It doesn't really mean much. Every week I've been meeting with a group of folks, just, just another four of us, so five in total, me and four guys. And there have been another uh, groups of ladies and groups of men who have been meeting week after week all year to discuss what they are understanding and learning from the Lord as they have gone through the pastures together. It's not, it's, there's, like, there's no trick to the Christian life. Even though I said we trick you, that was a joke. So we've had our community groups that gather and they discuss. We've had these things that you don't haven't discussed much called discipleship groups, D-groups. And they have been gathering together as kind of this closed group of men or women going through the Word, praying for one another, praying for people in their lives who don't know Jesus, and discussing the things that they have been reading and journaling through and bringing them with those other brothers and sisters and going, here's what God has been showing me. Here's something where I need prayer. Here's a way that I need to grow based upon what I see in the Word. That environment can be pivotal for us because then you have these kind of weekly touch points, right? Where you get to see what the Lord has done and the conversations that you've had and the ways that He's stirred your heart. And the thing is this, that can happen for anyone. So often we feel like we're not trained enough or equipped enough or ready enough or powerful enough or smart enough or articulate enough to be able to have conversations with people about the Scriptures. But here's the thing, all of you are. All of you are. All of you are able to meet with others and discuss the things that God is teaching them. 
these environments, a community group or discipleship group, they just kind of increase the accountability. That's all they really do, right? So they turn the accountability of doing those things up with other people so that we can't hide. Hiding is easy, isn't it? It's kind of easy to go through a week or a month or even a year and have just throttled back and, and, and coast. We don't even really realize it. But all of a sudden, we think about Christmas last year, we go, that was a year ago? That was a year ago that I was saying I need to get more involved? That was a year ago that I was saying I should probably do that? That was a year ago I was saying I should join the church? That was a year ago that I said we should probably be in a group? Like, yeah, it's amazing how quickly things move on. And all of a sudden, we go, what's, what's happening? And so at Genesis, we want to be able to offer you places where you can go and be in environments where you hear the scriptures and discuss the scriptures with regularity. Because that's what's transformative. The people with whom you do that. Um, I actually have a lunch after this with a group of people who are considering leading. They were in our discipleship groups this year and they're considering doing it again for 2020 or some of the people who are in groups are considering doing it again. So... I want to make this offer to you, or this challenge to you, which is this. If you think you would like to be in an environment where you're with other brothers, men with men, women with women, where you're with other people who could help you engage in the Word, discuss the Scriptures together with a hopeful and prayerful anticipation that the Lord uses those moments to change us more into the image of Jesus. I want you to fill out a Connect card and just put like on the back, discipleship group or something like that, because when we have our little meeting after there, we're all eating, Mama Juanita's up at lunch and discussing. If we have more people who are interested, now we've all had people we want to invite into our next round of groups. So like we're already thinking, who, who might we be able to invest in? Because it's not really as easy if it happens corporately where it's like, oh yeah, if you don't know anybody, just tell us that you don't know anybody and we'll connect you with people. That's really hard, right? Matchmaker doesn't work well. But we'll try. We'll try our best. But if you're interested in that, absolutely let us know. Hey, I would consider this. And we'll go to the leaders and go, do you have room? It can't be too big because then you're no longer able to actually have real conversations. Everyone's like, oh yeah, well, then you go into how many angels can stand on the head of a needle and you're just done again. But you get to get together and discuss these things with an anticipation that you'll be able to do it for others. And here's the thing. And I know you may not believe me. And that's okay. That's okay. We'll get there. To my detriment, I've been to way too much school. Like, I have been to a lot of schooling. I like school. I'm a nerd for school. My kids don't like school, so they didn't get the gene for me. I didn't like elementary school, so you have my approval. I hate it too. But I liked school, and I was decent at it. I'm an okay student. I can be a teacher's pet. Some of you can too, I know. There is nothing or maybe very little, I should say. There's very little that my schooling does to improve a discipleship group. Why? Because it's what the Lord is teaching and revealing to us as we gather together. There's nothing that, I'm not teaching. I'm not sitting there going, okay, well, I'm a big cup and you're a little cup and let me pour all of my knowledge into you. No! It's people gathering together on equal ground discussing the Scriptures. That's it. Praying through them, journaling through them, and going, what am I seeing here? 
the only time that, that being a school nerd might help is when <clears throat> I'm able to say, well, no one really knows who wrote Hebrews, but here are some reasons that people think different people did it. Like, that's the only time that it becomes helpful. <clears throat> but other than that, schooling doesn't really accomplish much for me or for you <clears throat> in that regard. So the enduring habit that Paul tells Timothy, <clears throat> invest truth in others who will do the same, <clears throat> is the same for you, the same for me. And then, as he changes his perspective, or his next statement, <clears throat> he moves to an enduring perspective. And he gives three different illustrations for us. He talks about being focused. He talks about being disciplined. <coughs> and he talks about being diligent. The enduring perspective of a gospel minister. So we have a habit above. And then three, four, five, six, and in the seventh he just goes, think about what I've said. And I want to start this way. As we do work in ministry, and I don't mean as a worker in ministry, but all of us are ministers onto Christ. As we do this work, it is easy to get distracted. It is easy to lose heart. It is easy to be brought along by the temptations that exist in the world. Might we not be so arrogant or so uh, blind that we do not think the world is alluring? That the things of the world are alluring. And Paul knows this. And so he gives Timothy three illustrations to help him remember to stay at it. So he says this. Share in suffering. Share in suffering. It doesn't always wake you up good in the morning and smile. Share in suffering, because that is a part of the Christian life, but share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. So the first illustration that he gives is that of a soldier. And the soldier has a specific focus. <clears throat> no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So you understand what he's saying there. The Lord has called you. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Right? Have you ever sung that song? He said, the Lord has brought you into His army. You are a soldier for God. No soldier gets caught up in civilian, or we would say in this illustration, worldly pursuits. Because the aim of the soldier is to do the will of the one who enlisted you did not enlist yourself. Okay? You did not enlist yourself into the work of God. The Lord enlisted you. And so he says, for the one who, enlists, the one who is enlisted, he wants to do the work or honor the one who enlisted him because his aim is to please. That is about focus. I am focused on things that please the Lord. Not things that please me, not things that please my family or please my friends or please my coworkers. My aim, my focus, my point is to give attention to things that please the one I serve. The soldier is focused. It is so hard for us to keep focus. 
And the world is always saying, come look at this. Look over here. You can have this too. You can do this. You can engage like this. You can be concerned about this or care about this or love this. Well, we'll see tomorrow, or not tomorrow, next week, in 1 John, where John says, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in it. Which I thought was just the most warm-hearted pre-Christmas sermon we could have. <clears throat> it's just all hot time. I'm sure back in July when I was mapping these out, I was like, that'll be a good one. That'll make us feel uplifted <clears throat> right as we get toward it. But Christmas Eve will come and we'll forget all about it. <clears throat> so the soldier is focused. The second illustration comes in verse 5. An athlete <clears throat> is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Athletes are funny people. Not in a bad way. Really, in an awesome way. I mean, when, you, when we all are glued to our TVs watching the Olympics, <clears throat> and we see people who have gymnastics moves named after them because of how good they are. Like, no one's ever done that before. We'll just name it after you. And you realize that that doesn't start without a lot of attention and a lot of discipline, a lot of energy given. If anyone here ever was or is currently in like on a swim team, those are brutal. What kid wants to get up at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. and go swim and then get out of the pool and then go to school and then get out of school and then go swim again? You're just like, ah! So much swimming. Well, I guess if you want to win like 25 gold medals, maybe you do that. <clears throat> we can't all be Michael Phelps. Okay. But the point is this. No athlete is able to receive what comes of competing unless he or she works incredibly hard for it. And puts the energy into training in disciplining herself <clears throat> for what that race requires. And many people don't have that level of discipline. They don't have that level of discipline. Now that's not to say if you're not disciplined, you know, God doesn't love you if you're not disciplined, because we're all we all could be more disciplined. We all could be. But ministry effectiveness isn't something that we just stumble into. It does require right, the working out of our salvation with fear and trembling. Even though it is God who is empowering it, and God who is working through us, and God who is the one who is doing it all, it still requires our discipline. The Bible doesn't read itself. If you fall asleep... It put your Bible under your head. It doesn't just get in there, right? You wish it did, like studying, right? We're just kind of going to diffuse that on in there. We always say osmosis, but that's liquids and these are solids. So we're going to talk about diffusion. Um, so we're not just going to somehow, all of a sudden, be diligent. What was our memory verse? Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. What did he say? Be diligent in this. 
Be disciplined in this. Give this your attention. Give this your energy. Give this your focus. Give this your care. Give this your prayers. Give this your time. And in fact, it is even as Paul's instructing Timothy, he'll say, even though I'm being poured out like a drink offering, because I've run the race, I've finished my course. Because, I mean, if you look at verse 3, share in suffering, well, the moment suffering shows up, we're often kind of like, I'm out. Pain, no more. Frustration, no more. People annoyed, I'm out. Can't do it, won't handle it. So the soldier is focused on the one who has enlisted him. The athlete is disciplined. Is actually disciplined to compete in the way he or she must compete. He gives it an incredible amount of attention. So I'm, uh, you know, Astros are, seem to be in a little bit of trouble right now. Uh, but because of the LSU connection, I didn't mention that, uh, and, uh, and because it's just kind of interesting, <clears throat> I'm an Alex Bregman fan, uh, but only because he's on my team. I'd hate him if he were on another team. I'd be like, oh, that guy is such a jerk. But because he's on my team, I'm like, yeah! So he actually said one time, he mentions the name of the coach who said, if you want this, you're going to have to put the work in. Yeah, I think he said he was 13 at the time. Where somebody says, you're going to have to, if this is really what you want to pursue, it's going to take your work. And it's always dangerous to use the word work when you're preaching when we are called and saved and enabled by grace. But our growth, right? One plants, another waters. God makes the growth. Our growth that is brought along and spurred along by the good and gracious work of God within us doesn't happen by mistake. It does require our discipline and our focus and our attention and our reading, our prayers and our conversations. We have to discipline ourselves in these things. And that's really hard around Christmas because like Disney Plus has all our favorite Christmas shows on. We want to see them all. Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2. I don't know who likes Home Alone 3, but that's there too. Discipline is something we all get. But disciplining ourselves towards the Lord is not. Many of you are disciplined in your careers. You do continuing ed. You keep after it. You keep learning. You keep understanding. You keep growing. You keep following. You keep finding new ways to do what you do even better. You're a student of your industry. You're always trying to find out, right? Parents. What are the best ways to parent? Best ways to care? Discipline this, discipline that. How do I train my kids? How do I instruct them? How do I handle this, right? You become a student and focused in that thing. We follow the Lord. And we really do need to be students of the one who has called us into this. With all of the power that he works within us, to use the word that Paul would use in Colossians, we need to give attention all that we have in Christ. For some of you, that might mean more actual formal education. That's fine. Pursue it. You have the time, you have the money, you have the energy, you have the aptitude, do it. 
might be reading, you might be listening, you might be praying, you might just be going, I don't read. That's why we have even these little things. It's funny, because we've been reading, you know, there's like two chapters a day, five days a week. And some of us are like, whew, I am so tired, I've never read that much of the Bible in my life. Right? And there's some Bible nerds who read the Bible like four times cover to cover a year. Those people are crazy. Amen? Now you said, Brad, yeah, yeah. Just kidding, Rock. We know you do that. We love you, Rock. Not even listening. I know, not even listening. Verse 6. The third image. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The soldier is focused. The athlete who is disciplined and the farmer who is diligent. Paul actually says it is the hard-working farmer. I'm not good at growing stuff. Well, I can grow weeds. So, so I take it back. But anybody who has tried to make a career out of farming, or even if you've just tried to make a hobby out of landscaping, you know the amount of attention that it takes. Remember one time, years back, I was talking to a friend of mine, and uh, he was retired, and he was like, I need to get a zero-lot line house. I just need a house that has no yard. I'm done with yards. Because the amount of energy it takes just to keep it manicured, mowed, the garden, you've got to weed the garden, all of that stuff, right? It takes a ton of work. Farmers, he's saying, the hard-working farmer up early before everyone to be sure that everything's in order. Sowing seed, harvesting. And so we see these three perspectives. The focused soldier, the disciplined athlete, and the diligent farmer. Those three images help us to understand the verses above, which is how do you continue time after time to train others up in the faith? How do you keep after it year after year? How do you keep telling people that Jesus is worth it and Jesus is good? Because life, and I know you guys, life can be exhausting. Sometimes by your own doing, right? I mean, let's not, let's not hide that back. Sometimes we just make it exhausting. And other times it's just because of what has happened to us. And just to spin the plates, we are exhausted. The Lord knows that. He knows. And has given us images of enduring faithfulness even in those moments. The soldier, the athlete, the farmer. What athlete doesn't get up some mornings and the alarm goes off and go, I do not want to go today. 
But what's at the end? A crown. So I will. So I will. I will keep going because there's a crown. The soldier who doesn't want to fight is tired of it will fight because what's at the end? A victory. And the farmer who doesn't want to put the work in that one morning when the alarm you go, I don't want to do this right now. But what's at the end? A harvest. A harvest. So be it a victory, or be it a crown, or be it a harvest, I promise the work that you put in to care for others in the Lord and to train them up and to encourage them and to cheer them on and to pray for them and to tell them God has not forgotten them, all of that energy does something. But might we keep after it so we can delight in what we see at the end. rather than tap out. I want to encourage you as we end our year, and I get a little uh, <clears throat> introspective as the year ends and you just go, how did it go? I want to encourage you in one way, which is to stay focused on faithfulness. Stay focused on faithfulness. And what I mean by that is this. It is always tempting to try and be awesome. It is always tempting to try and make a name for yourself or be seen for something, to be known for something. I do not think that when Paul was writing to Timothy, he was thinking, man, I can't wait until Hans preaches this at Genesis one day. His concern was to run his race and to encourage Timothy to do the same and to encourage Timothy to find others who would do the same. That's what he was focused on. So that he could say, I have been poured out, but I have run my race. I received the prize. I have what the Lord has for me. Staying focused on faithfulness might also mean to give good and significant attention to your own character. That it reflects the character of your Lord. A prayer that I pray for my kids every day is just this, and it seems simple, and it is, that they'd be kind. That they would be kind. Not impatient not self-centered, that they would be concerned for the needs of others. It's a prayer I pray for myself. Stay focused on faithfulness. There are times, if you're in a group, I get it. You're in a community group and you're like, I do not want to go to a group today. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. Tired of it. I need a day. I get it. There are times on Sundays where you get up, and I know we meet so, so early in the morning at 10.30, <clears throat> where you just go, I just can't do it today. And I've said this before, I'm going to say it all the time. 
I don't know what happens if you show up, but I know what happens if you don't. I do not know who you'll encourage or who you won't encourage when you get here. I don't know who will talk to you or not talk to you, but I know who won't talk to you if you're not here. And I know what you'll be able to contribute if you don't go. Nothing. Nothing. And so even arriving and being with other believers and committing to those times, even those are things we must discipline ourselves toward. Because they become easy for us to pull out of, to disengage from. Stay focused on faithfulness. And I would encourage you, ask of yourself, who, who could I ask to invest in me? Is a question, if that's never happened for you. Or, who could I invest in? Because I haven't done it. And the Lord has given me so much. And I could just share with them. So whatever that might be, in whatever form that might be, and if you're curious about joining up in a D group for the coming year, please fill out a card, let me know, um, and we will try and find a way to connect that. They're not magic, right? They're not magic pills or magic beans or anything else. It's just the regular gathering with other people to discuss what's going on based upon the scriptures. I mean, that's the hard part, because if you've ever been in an accountability group, what starts to happen? They meander forever forever. They just start to blah, blah, blah. They just go. So you always have to keep coming back to, all right, yeah, man, so we've read the Word, and what are you seeing in the Word that is helping you come to that conclusion? Or else we just start sharing random stuff. So let the Word root us and anchor us and guide us and train us and discipline us toward our Savior, that we might stay focused on faith.